This is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. So, Kaushik, I've been doing a, a lot of thinking about views lately. Mm. So I think today's guest is only perfect for this, this topic. So why don't you fill the folks in and let them know what we're going to be talking about and maybe you can introduce our special guest today. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is something that's always been on our radar uh, as a topic, custom views, custom view groups, widgets, and all that good stuff. But we've always been pushing it uh, for the future. And we have the perfect guest today who is also a pro at this stuff. So we thought this would be an excellent opportunity to sort of chat about this topic with her. And without further ado, we have our good friend, Huen. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. So, Huen, we appreciate you joining us here on the show today. For the folks that haven't been introduced to you or don't know of you, it would be great if you could give us a little bit of background information on maybe how you got started in you know, the programming industry, how you got started with Android, maybe even where you're working now and the things that you're doing uh, with Android. Uh, if you could give us a little bit of information, it would be great. Oh, absolutely. So, um, not to go back too far, but I got into programming when I was really young and I, I, I started off thinking that I was going to go in the game industry when I, when I got to university and that kind of, that kind of went away a little quickly. And then basically <laughs> I, got, I got to web at some point and it's actually pretty funny. Um, my significant other is actually was really into AOSP and he was telling me about this cool Android thing. And I said, well, all right, well, let's, let's give it a go. And we were both contractors. And then I just basically started doing Android just kind of like as a transition from my previous tech. And I ended up loving it. And I've been doing it for about seven years now. And uh, I was a contractor for a really long time. Uh, but just recently, just last September, I joined the Android team at Trello. Oh, nice. Oh, very cool. Yeah. We have good friends at Trello. Yes, we do. <laughs> Was this the second person we've had on the show from yeah. Trello, right? We had Dan and now you. That's excellent. Got a good team there. Yeah. Yes, we'd really do. And I, I believe I'm like the third person from Denver you've had on the show in the last few months or that so. Is, that is true. Denver has this amazing Android scene. We have like a whole bunch of like crazy, amazing folks from Denver. So yeah. Yeah. What's up? Like, what's the secret there? Right? How do we get that yeah. kind of the altitude? Thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you're also one of the co-hosts of a great video. I don't know what you call it, video video cast. Uh, the you YouTube the channels. Yeah. YouTube channel. Okay. So <laughs> the name of that is Android Dialogues. Can you talk a little bit about what who you you do Android Dialogues with? What you guys kind of talk about? It'd be great to get a little information on that because I know it's a super valuable resource. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, no, um, it's Chiki Chan and I. Uh, Chiki Chan also, uh, a developer in the awesome state of Colorado in Boulder. And we basically became friends. And, um, I always had, I, I mean, I, I listened to Fragmented like when y'all first started a year ago. And I've always been kind of a, a podcast nut. And I think I always wanted to do my own. And then as we were becoming friends, I had this idea of doing short interviews um, just because I have a very short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured, well, let me try doing something that's kind of really bite-sized and, and really kind of consumable. And I, I brought the idea to her before IO last year. And she was, and, and Chuki said, well, I have a camera, let's do video. And I I was like, well, I really like YouTube as well. So that sounds like a great idea. And and so our idea was just basically to talk to people in the Android community and to get to know them, to 
learn from them and to share in what everyone else is doing because the community is so broad. And I always feel like there's definitely, I think it's fair to say that there are people who are very Android famous, you know, and people that at any level of Android, you probably will know or should know. But there's so many people who maybe aren't quite as Android famous, but are still doing amazing things that still have a lot of wonderful like information and knowledge to share and are just cool people. There's just so many amazing people in the community. And like basically what we do is we go to conferences, we go locally, and we just talk to people for like 10 to 15 minutes or uh, longer <laughs> if we... Uh, it, if we kind of get off, uh, get off the train or get off the rails, but we basically just love talking to people on Android and seeing what they're doing and sharing it with the rest of the community. Awesome. We'll definitely add a link to that in the show notes and people can go back and see like your archive of like the different people that you've interviewed. It's like great stuff. No, it's, it's been a really w- great ride. And it's, actually we just passed our year anniversary of our first video. I think oh, like wow. not Sunday, but last Sunday. Yeah. So we've been oh, doing congrats. it for a year. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. So, Apart from Android Dialogues, you have recently also joined this site. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Caster.io. I don't know the dude who runs that show, but I hear he's been doing some decent things there. So <laughs> you recently joined, and I think you released your video. Is this maybe last week, I guess? Was it last yeah, week? Well, week yeah, just this last week. So I'm on board. <laughs> yeah. And I, I must say, uh, I've, I've worked with custom views, like anyone who's been working in Android development, at least for some time, usually runs into like custom views at some point, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show. And I must say, oh, my God, like all those concepts that are sort of like independently existent in my brain, which never connected, just seeing your video, it all just like connected so well. So I highly, highly recommend your series. You only have one episode out, but I believe... Uh, more episodes are coming. So I am eagerly waiting for those to ship. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's it's actually, I love custom views. They're kind of one of my favorite things. I, I'm really excited for the opportunity to, to, to do this video series. And I mean, there's just so many facets to doing custom views. I mean, it's 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 going to be fun and I'm really excited to do it. But yeah, it's, it's something that I've been really passionate about um, and was actually kind of that very first Android project that I did, um, I got to I got to basically start doing custom views and custom text rendering. So it's mm-hmm. always kind of been part of my Android mind space. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even as someone who has like some level of experience, I still had so much to learn from it. So uh, I'm pretty stoked about this series. And we'll definitely add a link to that in the show notes. Definitely. And if, for those that are they're listening and wondering what lesson we're talking about, it's, it's called Custom Views and View Groups. And it's uh, lesson number 81 on Castro.io. Again, Hoen, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for that. I felt the same way as Kaushik when I watched the video for the first time around. Just the simple, the way you explain it was so simple and took these concepts, which are, again, as Kaushik said, kind of distant from each other, and you brought them together very nicely. So anyone who's looking uh, to check it out, it is a free lesson that's on there. Um, So definitely check it out. I think one of the biggest questions that a lot of folks have out there is like, why should I create a custom view or why should I create a custom view group when there's all these other views out there? What's the benefit of doing so? And kind of what's, is there any heuristics that I should follow or or any, anything of that nature? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, so I, I have many thoughts on this. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I think the number one reason that, um, and I that was the reason that I got turned into custom views is that a lot of times, you know, there's so many different awesome widgets and, and views in the platform that you can use. And you could probably write, you know, dozens of apps where you 
are totally happy just sticking with those widgets that are in the Android platform already. But every now and again, you might have a really interesting, you know, innovative design or a complicated design, or you might be trying to do something new in terms of interactions, and you just can't make the platform widgets bend to your will. You can't mm -hmm. quite get the behavior that you want. And so sometimes you just have to go custom and, you know, or, and, and like, this is actually a, um, my idea for going back to custom views kind of came from a talk that I, I do recently called loving lean layouts. And, and, and the reason that it kind of came from that is that a lot of times custom views can also help with performance. So depending on like your view hierarchies, if they're very complex, if they're very deep, a lot of times doing custom work can help you flatten that hierarchy out and that you can do less nesting and less kind of like layering of things on, on top of each other um, through doing custom views. Now, it's a lot more work, but if you really have performance problems, that's a really great way to go about it. And, you know, just in general, in terms of like, if you have a, a big code base and you have like, you know, like kind of view structures, like view layouts that have like parts that you're using over again, rather than copying pasting things, you can use custom views and custom view groups to kind of make those a little more usable and make them modular um, and, and just kind of increase the modularity of your code. So there's quite a few different reasons to do it. Now with performance, one of the big things, especially with why people start off is like, when you have like janky UIs, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like the big, that's usually when people <laughs> are like, why does this thing not scroll properly? So you're totally right. In terms of like performance, I guess like that's like one big win. And usually that's when people get uh, working on custom views. So one big problem I have with <laughs> custom views is mm -hmm. uh, when you actually use custom views, you don't get the layout preview. Does that annoy you in any way? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so that's like the big, big downside. Um, no, so I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I am not... I had late before, so before like Google I came out and like the layout, new layout editor and the constraint layout came out, I was not a huge fan of design view. And partly because of I love because of my love for custom views, um, it just wasn't you know, <laughs> it just wasn't there for me. But I, I just tend not to use it as why well. I'm just I'm kind of like maybe I'm a little bit too focused on the XML. But so yeah, that is a big problem with it. And I mean I, I've had projects where. Um, it compiles correctly, but like design view would show that awful red squeaky lines. Like, oh, we don't know where this thing is. Like, no, it's right there. It's right. It's literally right there in the package. So it is a big disadvantage. Um, and I think going forward, especially with, you know, things like constraint layout and the new layout editor, where we're kind of shifting to a more visual style, it, if, if it continues to be that custom views are hard to render in the design view, that will be a disadvantage. But at the same time, um, and that's kind of the thing though, I feel like if it doesn't work for you, if you need to kind of stay in a certain flow, whether it's for visual editing, whether it's for, you know, some other reason that, you know, it's, it's, it definitely is a reason to consider not doing them. Mm -hmm. But again, things like performance, like when you have like really bad performance, it's like, that's like, that's like one star rating kind <laughs> of like problems, you know, and like at that point you kind of have to sacrifice the, kind of like the efficiency and convenience to yourself as a developer and pass off those savings, I guess, to your users um, by using custom views. So yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something that that is a big problem. And I, I'm hoping one day that, I mean, it, it's kind of hard because of the nature of custom views for, I guess, to expect the tools team to just know exactly how things should be rendered. But yeah, it's definitely something that is <laughs> has made me stare very sadly at the design <laughs> many a time. <laughs> If now there's a whole bunch of edge cases uh, inside of custom views, and when you're evaluating whether or not you should 
implement one and so forth. But for the, the, those that are out there that are new to Android development, which there are a lot of us out there, how or what is a good heuristic to determine like what's something I, I could say, hey, this is a good thing that I should be oh, using a yeah. custom view for? Like mm -hmm. when do I know I should create a custom view rather than just creating a huge layout and copying it all over the place? Or do you have any of those kind of heuristics at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, that's something I really love. Heuristics and, and, and rules of thumb are, are, are my jam. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a, a lot of times, <laughs> so a lot of times, like often, very often, uh, performance jank will pop up in list views just because of the nature of, of recycler views and list views is that you have tons of copies of the same item. And if that item is really complex, and you start trying to do things like swipe to dismiss and all that kind of fun stuff, you, that's when you can really get jank. And that was actually one of kind of like one of my personal anecdotal, oh my gosh, I need a custom view here because these list items are just too complex. We can't do them in a naive, straightforward kind of way. We need to go to custom view. So a lot of times with list, uh, with very complex, very dense, like recycler reviews and list items, custom views are a fantastic way to go. Um, and I think that's a good rule of thumb. Deep question, the open question now is like, okay, so how do we go about uh, custom views, right? Like what are the different strategies and approaches that we can use? Uh, there's this gentleman by the name of Lucas Rocha. Can you like walk us through like some of the definitions? Because there are, I understand there are different ways of like approaching custom views, right? Yeah, no, there's there's different. So it's kind of weird because when you say custom, I tend to say custom views and view groups, but it all kind of falls under this idea of basically taking what the platform has and then doing something different with it or right. making something more of it. And I think Lucas um, has some really great definition. The, the best, and I think one of the easiest places to start with custom views is what he calls composite views and basically taking platform widgets and putting them together. So instead of actually building something completely on your own from scratch, just building something new from the platform itself. Um, and then I think he goes on to talk about custom composite views, which is kind of going to the next level. Whereas instead of just using, say, a linear layout or relative layout and sticking things in it and making kind of your own view out of that, taking a custom view group or extending maybe a base view group and then doing your own like measurement and positioning. And then, so that's kind of like another level, right? And that, again, like, again, and that's kind of a, just another way to kind of make it a little more custom to get right, a little right. bit of more your own logic into it. And then was what he calls the flat custom view, which is kind of like what my first lesson was about uh, on Castor.io. And basically a lot of times when I say custom view, what I'm thinking about is basically doing a completely subclassed view and then doing all your own drawing yourself. Um, and um, I'll add something onto this. And this is also kind of another kind of gateway truck <laughs> into <laughs> custom views. And that's subclassing existing widgets. And this is a, a kind of another way that, and this is something else that I do a lot. Um, and so for, for example, my last um, gig as a contractor, I would subclass text view so many times uh, because we were, and, and a lot of times it's more just like small behavioral things. So if, if the widget does most of what you want, but doesn't quite do everything that you want, you can often just override and do things a little bit differently. So for example, on my old gig, we were supporting gingerbread <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, <laughs> so there were a lot of like, say like the input type flags, right? That were supported in say like 11 and on, but we really wanted that functionality before and we didn't want to have to like do everything kind of manually for each and every text view everywhere. So we would basically subclass text view and do a lot of, recreate a lot of that functionality in code. So it kind of saves us a little bit of, um, it kind of makes things a little bit more reusable for us in the code base. So that's also a really great way to start. And so I'm going to tack that on to, to Lucas's um, 
classifications of custom view types. Perfect. Yeah. And you mentioned like extending sort of like text views and sort of like the existing things. And that's actually one easy way I like to think about these strategies. Yeah. For example, like the first one, the composite view, if you're extending like linear layouts or like relative layouts, then you know you're basically like mangling with the, the composite views because basically you're taking like these different views and you're just arranging them in an order. And one typical example is like if you have like an image and a text and an image, right? Like in, in, instead of using like compound drawables, which would ne- possibly be the right way to go about that use case, when you extend like a linear layout or relative layout, then that's like the composite view. But then if you go and extend view group directly, and like as you rightly said, that's when you have to sort of like uh, delve into like these methods on on layout and like positioning. And then, of course, like the flat custom view, which is like what your first video was about, which is like extending views directly. At that, yep. you're going at the ninja level there. Like <laughs> at that point, you're like you have to override yeah. on draw at that point for and when you're at the flat flat level, right? Yeah, definitely. That's like that's basically the bare minimum that you need to do when you're doing a custom view is just on draw and then do your thing. Um, but and then like of course, if you need to do other things, you can like override on measure as well. And if you're talking view groups, you're going to be overriding on layout too. So. Um, yeah, I, I think like an interesting thing about these different types though is that co- to go back to like heuristics and guidelines, a lot of times if you're just making your, you're, tr- you're just looking to make your code reusable and modular, you'll often find that you, you're pretty good with cu- composite views. And maybe if you need a little more performance, you can go into cus- cus- custom composite views. But if you're kind of looking to go more very fine tuned, highly custom like behavior or appearance, that's when you kind of start to shift towards like the other things like the flat custom views, or maybe like, again, with like behavior tweaks with the subclass widgets. So um, what you, what, which, which of these you use can also depend on like kind of what your goals are as well. So that's good. That's good. Good point. You know, depending on what you're going to do, you're going to use a different type of of custom view if it's flat, composite, etc. Now, I think one thing that all of these methods share behind the scenes is the view rendering process. And this is kind of where all the magic happens. (laughs) The platform kind of takes over, but then some of your kind of code takes over when you hook into on draw, on measure and all these different types of things. Can you, uh, on the caster.io video, you did a great job explaining it. And I think the listeners would would also benefit from that here. (laughs) Can you explain how views are actually rendered in Android uh, at a you know at a very simple level like you did on the video absolutely and I particularly like uh, when's title for this it's basically how Android draws views which like makes complete exactly. sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so that so to be fair um, there's actually a great document that goes into a lot more detail on it on the document on the Android documentation that is called the same thing how Android draws views so um, if you want to go into super detail, uh, you can check that out. But basically what happens is that after, say, you have your XML layout and it's inflated and the views are instantiated, there's several phases that have to happen before that layout gets to magically appear on the screen. And so there are three phases. The first is measure. And basically what happens is the uh, the Android platform will go basically from parents to children within your view layout. So this whole process is kind of this depth first traversal of the view hierarchy going from parents to children. And basically what happens is that each parent has a set of constraints uh, for, for children um, for how big they should be. And those the parents will pass those constraints to the children and the children take in those constraints and say, all right, well, given those constraints and given like what is inside, like what my content is, here's what I, here's how big I want to be. And basically that goes down. And then once the children have done, like once the the children will ask their children the same kind of questions about like, how big do you want to be? And go through all down. So at the end of it, basically every single view in your view hierarchy will have what's called a measured width or height. Basically it kind of guess at, at about how big it should be based on its constraints and based on its content. 
So once that's all, so once that's all done, um, it you get to the layout phase. Now the layout phase is where the parents of children in your view hierarchy determine the ultimate positioning and size of that child, and that's based on again like the measurements that were done previously, and also just again like the specific algorithms or logic that that parent wants to kind of follow in laying out its children. And again, that goes depth first search, uh, depth first reversal of the tree from parents to children. The parents will lay out its children, the children will lay out their children, and so on and so forth, um, all the way down uh, until you get all the, the views taken care of. And then finally, you get to draw. And basically, uh, draw again, uh, you start with the parents. The parents will draw themselves so that generally when you're looking at a view hierarchy, the parents draw themselves so they'll be at the bottom. And then the parents will say to each child, hey, go ahead and do your drawing thing. And again, down the tree, children will ask, children will draw themselves, ask their children to do the same until the entire view hierarchy is drawn. Now, is this the same for um, every view? Is it always work this exact way? Um, as far as I know, I mean, like, that's just a basic, that's, that is the behavior of the base view class that like the widgets and view groups extend from. So. Perfect. That answers my question. So when you mentioned constraints, right? Like, so there's like these three big methods, on measure, on layout, and on draws. So when the parent specifies the high level constraints, basically it's like the match parent, like the wrap content. So these are the things that mm-hmm. we add as like layout sort of uh, attributes yeah. on our view, right? And yeah. the parent basically says, okay, these are your constraints. Boom, go and measure yourself. Tell me what, like how much like you can play around with, with uh, like your measurements. One thing that always confused me before was like, it seems like there's like this back and forth kind of approach because the parents yeah, say, okay, here, yeah. here you go, uh, measure yourself. And the view is like, okay, I'm measured, here you go. And there's like, oh, okay, I got this measurement back. Now let's go and sort of like try to see and how we can lay people out, right? So I actually have a slight metaphor that's not perfect, but that's great. So say that you're at like a pizza restaurant, right? And the parent, and so like the menu of the pizza, the pizza restaurant is like the your layout parameters. Like the parent gives you these constraints. It gives you this menu of like kind of basically options for you, like things that you can have, like how big can your pizza be, more or less. And then you, like, or not you, but sorry, the view, the child is the customer. And basically based on what you're feeling like, you know, how hungry you are, what kind of toppings you want, you're going to say to back to the parent, back to the pizza shop owner, okay, well, I want this, this, and this. This is how big I want to be. And then the parent, the pizza shop owner, will try very, very hard to fulfill your order. But if they don't have this particular topping or no, they don't have gluten-free pizza crust. I'm very sorry. You know, like they'll do their best they can to, to fulfill your order, but you're going to end up with what you end up with. Um, now in real life, you could probably just leave the restaurant and like, (laughs) 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 but, but views don't, views aren't that lucky. And a lot of times when you have like kind of funkiness, like you, when views don't, aren't laid out the way you expect, it might be because of this kind of disconnect in the process between what the view wants and what its parents might be able to give it. So totally going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) So one, uh, one clarification though, because like one uh, question that always pops up is like, well, how do I know which methods to implement? Because there's on measure, there's on layout and there's on draw. And Mm -hmm. as I understand, you don't need all of these three methods, right? Like, I mean, how does that work? And in fact, I don't think there's like, do custom views, like uh, the flat custom views, do they even have on layout or on measure? Because they're not view groups, right? So like, how, how yeah, does that all so, work? So, I mean, like they have, I mean, like obviously they have the methods because those are, are defined within like uh, the view class. But, you know, um, in, in terms of like, so there's there's a little bit of a difference between views and view groups. So on, so, okay, so let me start at the top. So um, if you're just doing a flat 
uh, flat custom view, you actually only need to do on draw. And there's actually um, a lot of base behavior within the view base class that will do some of the measure for you. So you don't ever have to worry about your children having like no width and no height because there is like default behavior that will take care of that. It's not, and, and the problem is there is that if you do on draw and just on draw, you can you can run into problems where things don't quite get sized the way you want. And so that usually what I do thing. is that, and I, I have to kind of check this, um, but um, but you're kind of at the mercy of whatever that, that base class view behavior is and basically how your draw operations will interact with that. And so if you kind of, and especially if you want to make views that are more reusable and, um, you, and, and you want to kind of have a better control or just more options when you're laying out that custom child, that's when you want to say, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do on measure and I'm going to actually calculate how big my contents should be so that, you know, my you know, that I'm not always like match parent or I'm not always this particular um, size when, when my um, view is being drawn. And again, so on measure is very often important to flat custom views, even though you don't strictly need it. Um, you, you probably do want to do it now on layout. Again, you, it's custom, custom, custom views generally like when you're doing them, I, I know usually when I do them, they don't have any children, so you don't have to worry about it. Now with custom view groups, everything I said before is true with the on draw and the on measure. Um, but I'll measure in more particular because, you know, uh, a lot of times the size of the view group is very dependent on the size of the children. So you probably very definitely should do on measure for the view group and you need to do on layout. And on layout is basically how your children will end up on the screen if you do not. And so there's actually a method that you can call from within on layout on the children that's layout. It's just called layout. And that is the way by which the children will actually be drawn. If you don't call it, then they kind of end up in like, you know, non, non-dimensional space somewhere. So um, on layout is absolutely like critical for doing uh, custom view groups. I got this great pizza analogy that I'd like to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and the way it works is if you, so you can go to the restaurant owner and basically tell them, I want a vegetarian pizza. And they're like, okay. And they can just like give you what you want. But if uh, you override on measure on, on and on layout, you can say, well, actually remove the onions. I don't want the onions. I want like, you know, if you want to add more like dimension and constraints, then you can sort of like, you can, you're ma- you can make sure that the vegetarian pizza that comes to you is like exactly the way you designed. Mm, nice. <laughs> I'm feeling that one too. <laughs> oh, well. So we, we, uh, there's, you know, these three methods on draw, on measure, on layout. Uh, they do a bunch of different things, and I know some of them are called quite frequently in the Android lifecycle when views are rendered and so forth, especially in list views, uh, you know, all those recycler views, et cetera. Now, at some point, we have to start caring about uh, performance, um, but at some point, we have to be pragmatic at the same time and say, do I really have to care about performance when I'm building this initially, or when should I start looking for performance uh, bottlenecks or anything in that, in that area? Do you have, again, any additional rules of thumbs of when someone might need to start optimizing for performance and any tools they can use and so forth? Absolutely. So it happens that you worry about performance when you start having performance problems. And that's a very good time to start worrying about it when you have jank in your UI. Um, if you can, anticipate problems. Like if you do have a list view that's incredibly dense, that has a lot of data, try to do things in a more efficient manner. Try maybe thinking about doing custom views if they make sense, if they're efficient for you from the beginning. And then if you have to compromise sometimes, if you have to just crank a layout out or crank a UI out to get something out, that's fine. But always kind of pause. And like when, if, if you're doing like a whole big, whole ton of features, you have to kind of pause and consider like where the bottlenecks are. And a lot of that can be done through using different tools. 
you know, a lot of the problems that come with perf- with performance uh, for layouts have a lot to do with basically how many times you're doing measure and layout and how much stuff you're doing in it. And there's a, quite a few great tools to, 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 to do that, to kind of gauge like how much stuff you're doing um, with. And kind of a big one is SysTrace. And so the whole thing with jank, so janky UI, stutter UIs occur because, you know, um, whenever the application is rendered to the screen, each frame that the user sees has to be drawn within a certain time frame. So the kind of like the gauge is 60 frames per second is smooth, is, is basically a smooth rendering. And to meet that kind of requirement, each frame has to be drawn in about 16.6 milliseconds. So the problem is, is if you do too much stuff, it's going to take longer than that. So a really great tool for that is SysTrace. Um, and SysTrace basically gives you this really great visualization on basically execution times and of, of different, pro- of like different like, um, uh, methods that are going on. And it's really great because they're actually this little, like this, it actually gives you frame rendering information and frame rendering kind of um, evaluation. And each frame, there's this great little like F icon and it'll um, let you know if you're kind of within that 16.6 milliseconds, if you're a little bit over and if you're a lot over and it shows you kind of like a great, like red, uh, sorry, green, yellow, red kind of color, just like, oh, hey, like, you know, you're not doing so good or hey, this is fine. And so it's a really great tool to use when you have that giant to kind of see like, and, and you can actually see like which methods also might be taking a little bit longer uh, within the frame um, execution. So that's a really great tool. It's it's a little heavy and obviously visually um, it's pretty complex to use. So um, another great tool that's more just for visualizing your view hierarchy is the um, hierarchy viewer. And it basically takes your your activities layout and creates a tree representation of it. And so it actually does have measurements of measure layout and draw, but it was told very specifically. So I, I gave this whole talk where I was like touting the wonder, wonderfulness of hierarchy viewer and saying, oh, look at these really cool metrics you have um, on the measure uh, layout and draw. And actually Chet Haas came to me after my talk and said, all right, look, um, I'm going to make you cry, but those aren't <laughs> accurate at all. And I was like, really? Oh, great. And I was like, no. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Chet. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so thanks, Chet. No, but um, so, so, but he said, but I still, but he said, he, he said very specifically that he thinks it's still a fantastic tool for visualizing because visualizing is very important. And you get a really good 10,000 foot view of where you might have a lot of views, where your view might be incredibly deep because of this tree view. You can kind of see where things are bunched together or things are getting really, really long, really, really deep. So it's still a really great way of kind of getting a very maximum microscopic view of where you might have problems. So it's still very valuable. Don't use the numbers or Chet's going to just Chet's going to come make you cry. I'm sorry, Chet. I'm just kidding. But um, so and, and there's some other great tools. Um, there's Dumpsys, which is basically a tool that collects that, that, that collects um, interesting information about kind of like different processes and dumps it out. It's called Dumpsys. And there's actually a couple of um, arguments you can pass to it about graphs. Um, one's called GFX info, which is basically um, and, and, and so there's GFX info and there's also GFX info, f- info frame stats. And it's basically this really incredibly detailed like timing information on when different parts of the draw process happen. So if you want to get down to the fractions of a second of when measure occurred and when layout occur, um, you can do that. Um, but once you get to Android N, you'll get this really cool frame metrics listener API. And it, the, the frame metrics listener API is basically dump sys sorry, dumps this frame stats, but in an API that you can access in the app that's not limited to 120 frames of history because that's what um, frame stats is, is um, 
is uh, limited to. And again, you can get this incredibly detailed, like basically interaction level, I believe is what they call it, information about what's going on with your UI. So you have a lot of tools. Oh, and there's also, um, again, like using the GPU profiler as well, which is in um, Android Studio, and also things like, you know, turning on overdraw and and things like that to kind of see where um, that's happening. So you have a lot of different tools to kind of gauge you know, where you have a complex view, where are things like, where do you have a lot of dense views? So things are overlaying and overdrawing or like at what point, like, are you getting a lot of kind of like um, heavy you know, GPU activity because maybe you're scrolling and you have a really, you know, complicated view. So things are kind of going sideways here. So there's a lot of different ways. That makes sense. Uh, in terms of the uh, CPU and GPU, so this is one thing I've always uh, sort of, and we're going to nerd out just a little here, <laughs> so <laughs> bear with us. <laughs> and I've noticed like sometimes uh, developers don't, necess- don't necessarily understand the distinction between what the CPU does and what the GPU does. Now, again, you don't necessarily need to know this for like your day-to-day Android development, but it's very helpful to know. Uh, what, what these roles are, right? So, uh, so here's the gist. I'm going to try to break it down, like uh, in a sort of simple fashion. And you, you folks should correct me if I'm saying something completely ridiculous. Uh, so, primarily, there's the CPU and the GPU. Now, in the early '90s, it, what happened is people realized, like, there's this process called like rasterization, right? And what rasterization does is, like, if you have a representation of like a high-level object, like you have like a button, you have a circle, you have text you want to render that into pixels because in the end on the screen everything just is like the sea of pixels right so like you want to render that onto uh, the screen in terms of pixels and but what they noticed is like it's tricky to do this because like this uh, just re- the rendering of the pixels alone is quite intensive and which is why in the early 90s they brought in this concept of a gpu right so the graphical processing unit uh, you also have the cpu and the way these two connect is the CPU tries to build like these low level like building blocks. So like polygons, like textures, like just think of it like if you have a button and like if you like dive in microscopically and you try to break it down into sort of simple objects like, oh, this could be a rectangle. This could be like a combination of like uh, a 20 triangles or something. The CPU does the work uh, in order to sort of build that uh, the information there and it ships it off to the GPU and the GPU basically takes that the GPU is amazing at taking these low le- low lying blocks and then boom converting those to pixels right the GPU tends to be really good and fast uh, about doing these things and all of these things that we say like the, having like a view hierarchy having like a whole bunch of views the idea is basically there are two very time consuming processes one is this process of converting to low-level objects, like if you have like a button and the CPU's converting it to these low-level objects, that the CPU does that, but it takes time to do that. And the second big time-consuming operation is taking all that information and shipping it to a GPU because the CPU and the GPU are like very independent components on like your, any computer that you have. Like they're, they're like physically different components. So moving that information from one component to the other also takes time. So like Juan was saying, if you have like a whole bunch of views, basically it has to do all of that work for each of these views, right? And then each of those things take time. So like, it's nice to understand the distinction between the CPU and the GPU. So when Juan says like uh, on measure, on draw, and all of these sort of like software-y kind of things that are talked about, <laughs> it's all the CPU that basically does that uh, work, right? And then when you have like, the actual rendering into pixels, then it's like the GPU that steps in and does this, right? Does that make sense? That was awesome. That was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <Very lovely. laughs> 
Well, I hope I didn't say something completely wrong, and then we're going to get listeners say like, "You are a complete nut job. You have no idea what you're talking about." No, that was a uh, was a great uh, great bit of information there. It's the same way that I've I've grown to understand it as well. I mean, in terms of like giving like specific tips per se, like for example, because one thing that always trips me up is also like the invalidate method and. This is like one of those yeah. key points that like with when, after watching Quinn's video like I want to also say what happens but it's also like a teaser to the trailer of spoilers. watching yes the spoilers but, but this is such an amazing like for me it just like clicked I'm like oh my god that's what it is like so when you have like this timer view right then maybe you should like walk us through yeah so so basically like so say you you kind of um optionally like implement on measure, you implement on draw, and you've got something really beautiful on the screen. Unfortunately, mobile applications are not static. So at some point, state will change, something will change. Um, you might just want to entertain the user, um, <laughs> and you'll have to re-render the view. So the thing is, is that um, in order to request that the platform kind of redraws or your view, you have to call invalidate. And basically, invalidate is saying, well, just that, well, I'm sorry, this view, like the current, like drawn state of the view is no longer valid. It needs to go through another draw cycle. So basically when you're trying to update the kind of rendering of your view, you need to call this invalidate method. And at some point, you know, a message gets passed to like the main thread. And at some point, uh, a draw pass will occur again. So you can kind of re-go, re we run through all your logic and hopefully something has changed and it will, you know, that change will be reflected in the new drawing uh, of your view. And there's quite a few ways to do it. Um, so like the base, the base like method is just no parameters invalidate. So basically my whole view is like, I guess to use like the correct prompts, like the, the view's dirty, it needs to be redrawn again. Um, but there's a lot of different uh, variants of invalidate. If you want to get kind of fancy and you want to kind of like um, be a little more performant, if only a portion of that, uh, view is changed and you can get a good idea of coordinates or like an area for it. There's a couple of great variants of invalidate where you can pass like a rectangle that has both the position and the size um, of a, of a subject section of your view, or there's like an invalidate, I think was like left. I never hold on left top, right bottom. It always confuses me that they don't do left, <laughs> right top, bottom. Um, but yeah, so, so there's, so it's definitely an expensive operation and you shouldn't just do it um, willy nilly, but so, so, but if you have to, you have to. And if there's a way for you to kind of more precisely designate parts of your view to redraw, there's alternatives for you. And again, if performance is an issue, then you should definitely kind of look into being a little more precise with your invalidation. But it's an important part, but it's also an expensive part. So it's always like this kind of balance of like, I want something to be really, you know, lush and like, you know, interactive and changing and, and beautiful. And I want to do all kinds of things with my view, but you also have to you know, scale it back a bit if you have performance problems. So. Right, right, right. And in terms of your example, like with the timer text view, right? Like you chose like the perfect example because without calling invalidate, what happens is like with the very first rendering, it shows this beautiful timer like circle with a text, but the text doesn't yeah. change because like like you rightly <laughs> said, like <laughs> the state has to change. And in, in when the state the state has changed and when the state changes, you basically call invalidate, so it boom, it like refreshes, right? That that just clicked so well for me. I'm like, oh my god, now I totally understand what's happening. Yeah. Now to go with this conversation, if I wanted to make that even more efficient, now in in the lesson, I just call invalidate. But for the time review, the only thing that's really changing is that number in the middle. So if I could get a very good, you know, erect or positions that that just kind of like box in that particular text in the middle, I could call invalidate with erect or left, top, right, bottom, and make it even more efficient, especially with a, something like a timer where 
it's very, I mean, like the timer's not so bad. It's every 200 milliseconds, which I guess in computer time is not so, so fast. But again, because it's happening, you know, very, very um, periodically and kind of often enough, um, making it efficient wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, and it's not too hard to do. So that's a tip for people that um, watch Castor.io videos and listen to the podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> boom, winning all the way. <laughs> now there's like uh, also, as I've read in numerous places that um, various allocations on on draw can be a humongous problem uh, oh is, is that true yes that is very true um and just because um depending on what you're doing depending like you know animations and and all this kind of thing just trigger so many updates so many invalidations so many redraws that if you're allocating in that call just think about how much memory you're just like using up if you're just calling on draw over and over and over and over and over again um they're really bad and it's actually a lint warning that pops up if you allocate any objects in on draw lint will yell at you and that's kind of like one of my big things you kind of want to pay attention to lint when you're doing performance problems so um so when you're using say like text paint paint objects rect um any of those ge geometric objects usually um the best thing to do is instantiate them maybe in your constructor or just somewhere else and then um, I wouldn't even like, I mean, if you can do it in your constructor, that's awesome. But basically instantiate objects that you need to draw elsewhere, usually in the constructor. And that way you, you and then instead of like creating new objects, just kind of overwrite them, reset methods and things like that. Um, and this gets a little bit sticky with things like static layout, which you use to render text and which is a great helper because it, it allows you to kind of wrap text where draw text that I use in lesson is a lot more kind of very um, explicit kind of brute force way of drawing text. Static layout is a lot more graceful and does wrapping, but um, static layout, you can't actually change the properties. You have to just create it. So you have to kind of get very careful and very inventive about how you instantiate these objects. So it's, but it's really important to not do that. So we have a bunch of uh, resources here. We're also going to add to the show notes here, and I'm just going to kind of run through them real quick. Uh, we have, uh, of course, Wynn's um, popular caster.io video, which is custom views and view groups. So we'll link that. Uh, you also have a talk that uh, is on YouTube. It's called Loving Lean Layouts. Where, where was that one from? Um, actually, I've given that talk at several places. Um, I first gave it at the Big Injury Barbecue last year. Um, oh, okay. And it's basically kind of, yeah. Um, but there's a bunch of different recordings. I gave it in, in DroidCon Berlin, DroidCon Italy, uh, Droid Kagi in Japan. So um, there's a couple of different places to find it. Excellent. Okay. I think I watched your talk at uh, DroidCon SF as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. We also have the other article we discussed earlier, which is Lucas Roca's custom layouts article. And that's where we talk about the composite view, the flat view and so forth. So definitely take a good look at that one as it has a bunch of good information in it. Uh, there's also a training video by New Circle. Uh, it's called Enhancing Android UI with Custom View. So that's another great use useful video. And here's one that I learned a ton from that's from Eric Burke at Square and it's Taming Android UIs. This is a such a good video. Uh, it's been around for a while, but uh, it's still a classic. And finally, of course, the fine folks over at Google on the Android team ever leads the Android performance patterns, custom views, and performance videos. So definitely check those out. These will all be linked in the show notes. And these are like very interesting people. For example, like you mentioned Lucas uh, uh, Roca, right? So he's ex-Firefox, yep. I think. He was in Firefox, and he did some amazing work there. Now I believe he's at Facebook. Uh, oh wow! So like, it's super interesting. Eric Burke, obviously, like one of the early uh, folks at Square. He worked with like Crazy Bob, uh, Jesse Wilson, I imagine a whole bunch of those folks, and and uh, New Circle, our friend Devin Wyatt, Dave, who was on a couple episodes as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. When? Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun always to chat with you. When? Yeah, thank it's you always so, much. so good to see you too. No, I, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. 
If folks want to reach out to you, what's like the best way they can do that? Oh, I am super active on Twitter and you can find me there at Queen Code Monkey. And um, of course, uh, at Android Dialogues, it's youtube.com slash Android Dialogues, like the component, not like the actual proper English word. Oh, yeah. um, and, <laughs> and I keep a website um, blog at randomlytyping.com. Excellent. Sweet. And uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at fragmentedpodcast.com slash episodes slash 47. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you, Don, what's the best way to do that? They can find me on Twitter at Don Felker or you can go to donfelker.com. Perfect. And I am Kaushik Gopal on Twitter and K-A-U-S-H dot C-O is my uh, website. So thank you all for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Sorry, that was a tablet that's on the table. Let me actually throw it against the wall. (laughs) That's the problem with having two Android developers in the house. You've got like (laughs) devices everywhere and you have no idea anymore. A tablet? What are you doing with a tablet? (laughs) It's a Pixel C that... That we're supposed to test on At different devices. At least it devices. wasn't the iPhone sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. <sighs>